0: Hi everyone, welcome once again to Dan1132. This is episode 93, and I'm Jim Witteveen. It's good to be here with you once again. Once again, here from Brazil, and this episode is a, a follow-up to last week's episode, last week's special Pride Month episode, and I'm going to uh, continue along that same theme as long as it's Pride Month. I think it's a it's a good subject to be focusing on, and it's a good subject for us to be prepared to know what we're talking about, to know how to respond to the various movements and the way things are developing, and the the rapid pace at which uh, change is happening, at which society is is evolving or being evolved, uh, the way that Pride Month has taken over as one of the high holy feast days in our country, in our countries, and, uh, and how it's become almost a uh, part of the state religion, something that we must celebrate, something that we must participate in, uh, something that we must not speak out against. And I think it's necessary for us to do everything possible to make our voice heard so that uh, we're not silenced and we don't allow ourselves to be silenced and we're not afraid to speak out for the sake of God's glory and also for the sake of our neighbor. And I think that's really extremely important. If you allow uh, this to continue unchallenged, then uh, you're allowing, first of all, people to go through their lives uh, without glorifying God and without being challenged on that. You're also uh, leaving people in the situation in which they are in lifestyles, which are self-destructive and not only self-destructive, but also destructive of society in general, and, and lessen uh, what it is to be human, take away from people's humanity. And that's what I want to address in this week's episode, is, uh, is how the gender revolution takes away people's humanity, and that's by design. And I'll, uh, I'll show that to you from a book, those of you who are watching on Rumble will see that I'm showing this book on the, on the screen here. Uh, The book is called Gender Trouble, and the author of this book is Judith Butler. And the the subtitle of the book is Feminism and the Subversion of Identity, and it's published by Rutledge Rutledge Classics, and first published in 1990, and this is an updated, uh, updated version that was published in 2007. So that's the first thing i want to point out and something that i point out frequently when i point out the dates of the books that i'm looking at and what these books have to say this book was published in 1990 so uh, two years after i graduated from high school so that's uh, about 30 years ago or over 30 years ago now uh and uh it shows you that the, the what what happens in the academy it might take a while to trickle down into society, but it will, which is why we need to be aware of what's going on in the academy because uh, Judith Butler and her work proved over time has has proven to be influential. And so this is another one of those episodes uh, where I, I read one of those books that uh, so that you don't have to. And uh, at this point I wish that I didn't have to either read this book because it's um, it's a piece of work and if you read some comments on this book uh, you you uh, you get kind of the same vibe. Uh, Judith Butler is an academic and apparently very proudly an academic and writes in a very dense way in a way that uh, uh, takes some doing to untangle and if unless you're willing to put in the effort uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of a fool's errand to, to continue to do that I think uh, because because I, I think if an author doesn't care enough about her audience to make a work readable and understandable then uh, there isn't uh, there isn't much point normally in reading it but I'm reading it because I really wanted to know you know what an influential thinker uh, in uh, gender ideology had to say. And and I did learn something very important from this book, and that's what I'll get into, and I'll also get into some application of that as well. Uh, and so you'll 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 hear some of the citations from this book, which are just beyond belief. They beggar belief in terms of their uh, their structure and their their use of uh, of academic lingo. Uh, this is this is somebody who's obviously uh, yeah very. Uh, very proud of her ability to string together a par- paragraph-length sentence. So she talks about gender identity, and uh, there were parts of this book that I, I did skip over, but I got, I got the, main, the main gist of it, and I did, uh, I did read a fair bit. There were uh, large parts of this book are responses to other gender theorists and philosophers who I haven't read, so I, don't, I have no clue Uh, what she's exactly responding to. So what I really wanted to see is what was her main point? Uh, What is Judith Butler's main point in this book? And I think that does become clear with some digging. So she talks about sex and gender identity and the outworking of gender identity in people's lives. And she says this, Inasmuch as identity, between quotation marks, is assured through the stabilizing concepts of sex, gender, and sexuality. So those are three different things for her, sex, gender, and sexuality. The very notion of the person, between quotation marks, is called into question by the cultural emergence of those incoherent or discontinuous gendered beings who appear to be persons but who fail to conform to the gendered norms of cultural intelligibility by which persons are defined." So that's a, that's a light example of some of Judith Butler's prose, but basically what she's saying here is, or what she's calling into question, is actual individual personality. And I think that's a, that's a very important and central point here. And I'll get into a little bit more about that, and I'll explain a little bit more about that as I get towards the end of the book. And don't worry, I'm not gonna read a, a whole ton of citations here. Uh, but it's important for, for, for now, just to, to understand that uh, through these concepts of sex, gender, and, and sexuality, the very notion of the person, or personhood, we could even say, is called into question. And so that's, a, that's an important point. And she's a, she's a philosopher, so she gets into these, uh, obviously into these uh, philosophical, uh, well, the, the work is one long philosophical rabbit hole. But uh, anyway, she gets into these philosophical points that uh, get pretty uh, uh, deep to the point of uh, being uh, completely not understandable. Anyways, the uh, moving on and skipping over a whole bunch of pages here, uh, she says, uh, so she talks about uh, the exceptions to the rule or exceptions to the norm, and this is something that you often hear, especially when we hear about transsexualism and the transgender movement. Well, what about those people who are, who are born hermaphrodites with the genitalia of both sexes? What about them? Uh, as if an exception and, and, and a tiny exception percentage-wise in terms of, of the, the population at large, as if that percentage uh, of the population and their issues should define how we deal with uh, sexuality and sex, sexual roles uh, and related issues. But, so that comes up fairly often. And so she speaks about that, writes about that. And she says, the point here is not to seek recourse to the exceptions, the bizarre, in order merely to relativize the claims made in behalf of normal sexual life. So she says, we're not just just trying to use the exception uh, in order to make our point. And she, she says, as Freud suggests in three essays on the theory of sexuality, however, it is the exception, the strange, that gives us the clue to how the mundane and taken for granted world of sexual meanings is constituted. So we look at, the exceptions, and we judge what is uh, you know the 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 general status of things by those exceptions, and how we view those exceptions. So somebody who is a hermaphrodite, somebody who has that that uh, that physical uh, anomaly in their body, and, and the way that society deals with such a person, shows us, according to Judith Butler, what sexuality really is. So how we deal with that shows us what what gender and sexuality in society is all about. And she says, Only from a self-consciously denaturalized position can we see how the appearance of naturalness is itself constituted. The the presuppositions that we make about sexed bodies, uh, which I would say is every body, about them being one or the other, male or female, about the meanings that are said to inhere in them or to follow from being sexed in such a way, are suddenly and significantly upset by those examples that failed to comply with the categories that naturalize and stabilize that field of bodies for us within the terms of cultural conventions. Hence, the strange, the incoherent, that which falls outside gives us a way of understanding the taken-for-granted world of sexual categorization as a constructed one indeed, as one that might well be constructed differently. So, to, to make a long story short, the uh, the way that we have traditionally viewed uh, human beings as being created male and female uh, and having two sexes and gender uh, being, uh, if, if you think of gender at all, gender being the same as sex. Uh, a woman is of the female sex and... Uh, the use of the word gender by uh, Judith Butler and uh, John Money and others from that era have led to our use of the word gender in an erroneous way but if you if you think about uh, sexuality and 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 sex roles and heterosexuality as the norm well if we look at the strange and the unusual that which falls outside of the norm she she writes that helps us to understand that the the categorization, the categories of sexes that we work with is not something that simply is or something that we can take for granted. Male and female, he created them. Uh, We can't take that for granted as if there's there's only a, a binary choice. There's only male or female. But that's something that society constructs It's a social construct, in other words. So gender is a social construct. Gender, sexuality, uh, and uh, sex roles in human life. So she goes on, and I could say, and on, uh, and she talks about some French feminist theorists and philosophers Uh, And she talks about one in particular whose name is Wittig. And she says uh, that Monique Wittig is the name. Uh, Through her theory and fiction, she calls for a radical reorganization of the description of bodies and sexualities without recourse to sex, and consequently without recourse to the pronomial differentiations that regulate and distribute rights of speech within the matrix of gender." Whew. Okay, play this on point 0.5 speed and then play it about three times. Uh, so she's talking about uh, Monique Wittig, uh, who echoes the writing of Simone de Beauvoir, a name that might be familiar to some of you, uh, who uh, wrote nonfiction and fiction about gender and sexuality, and lesbianism. Uh, and so she want what what she wants and what she has worked towards uh, is this reference to people without reference to sex, without using pronouns that regulate and distribute rights of speech within the matrix of gender. So referring to someone as he or she, uh, and instead in the, in the case of Judith Butler. If you look at the Wikipedia entry on her, uh, on her biography, she is referred to as they. So in the, uh, the third person plural, so she is uh, multiples, or they are, rather, multiples, apparently. So they write this, and it gets uh, uh, a little tedious to uh, continue to use that third person plural to, to describe one person. But she also, so that's, that's one thing, and I want to touch on that a little further, a little later on, that issue of pronouns and the issue of, of uh, declaring your, your gender and your preferred pronouns. Uh, but she goes on, and this is uh, Judith Butler who goes on to write, that acts, gestures, and desire produce the effect of an internal core or substance but produce this on the surface of the body. Okay, so this, this point, uh, we're getting really to, the, to what I consider to be the center of what Judith Butler has to say in this book uh, about the performative aspect or the per- performative nature of gender. So keep that in mind. I'm going to re- read that again. Uh, acts, gestures, and desire produce the effect of an internal core or substance so the effect of an internal core or substance, but produce this on the surface of the body, so on the exterior, through the play of signifying absences that suggest but never reveal the organizing principle of identity as a cause. So talking about gender identity. So the way that people act, the way that people Uh, dress the way that people behave the way that they live in relation to people of the same sex or the opposite sex or both sexes the kinds of sexual behaviors in which they engage are exterior they exist on the surface they give an appearance of something that is within but it's only an appearance of that and she goes on to say such acts gestures and actments generally construed are performative in the sense that the essence or identity that they otherwise purport to express are fabrications manufactured and sustained through corporeal signs and other discursive means. So acts, gestures, uh, enactments, so, so actions, and, and uh, specifically uh, I think the, the the kind of sexual identity that a person takes on, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they dress, uh, whether they uh, dress as a male or a female or act as a male or a female would act or act in a, even in a stereotyped male or female way, uh, it's, it's a corporeal sign. So it's, it's a sign of the body. It's something that we do physically and of other discursive means, so the way that we speak and the way that we communicate. So the gendered body is performative, and she says that the gendered body is performative suggests that it has no ontological status apart from the various acts which constitute its reality, and that's that's really important because it speaks to and and, and again if if uh, if you know these are philosophical terms and they're not very clearly explained I don't think uh, but. What, what she's saying here is important to recognize. So, the gendered body is the person as he or she, of course, she wouldn't use those terms, he or she, uh, as the person uh, expresses himself uh, sexually in terms of sex roles, etc., and in terms of sexual acts. Uh, that uh, is, is performative in nature, it's, it, it, but it has no ontological status. So ontology speaks of the essence of a person, uh, speaks of what, what the person is, what is the nature, what is human nature. And so what Judith Butler appears to be denying here is the existence of uh, human nature, the existence of even the existence of unique individual humans, and certainly, as we express ourselves in distinctly Christian categories in the biblical understanding of human beings, certainly not as, as a uh, each person created in God's image, reflecting who God is and thus important as an individual and unique as an individual. What matters is the performative things the things that are on the on the uh, that are superficial on the surface and not what's on the in the interior because it appears that, that she even denies the existence of a soul or uh, an essence of the person that's not physical so it's performative and the reality is in the acts that are performed so acts and gestures she says articulated and enacted desires create the illusion of an interior and organizing gender core, an illusion discursively maintained for the purposes of the regulation of sexuality within the obligatory frame of reproductive homosexuality. And so she talks about Obligatory heterosexual, heterosexuality or mandatory heterosexuality. Uh, she herself defines herself as being non-binary and, and a lesbian, uh, and uh, as I mentioned, refers to herself with they/them pronouns. Uh, and so she has this very negative view of the the strictures of a society which is uh, normative in, in which heterosexuality is normative. Uh, especially reproductive heterosexuality so there's a, a divorcing of sex from the actual person because we can't even really say that an individual person uh, self or what is personhood it's all about our exterior acts uh, personhood doesn't seem to matter uh, and the soul you know that the soul doesn't doesn't even really exist it seems uh, but, There's the illusion of this interior and organizing gender core. So it's not even that, you know, you hear many people today who say that they're transsexual or transgender. And they come to a point in their life where they feel on the inside like they're a woman. And so they want to express that. or like A male feels that he's a woman or a female feels that she's a male. And they want to express that. They want to express that outwardly uh, in physical means, in sexual means, uh, what have you. But what Judith Butler says is that that is not even what matters. What matters is not how you feel on the inside, that, that's, that's, that's beside the point. What matters is how you behave on the outside and that's what defines you. So if you're a, if you're a man, if you have male reproductive organs, and you feel like you have a desire to dress in women's clothing or to have sexual relations with other men or to change your sex and to have sexual, whatever it may be, whatever mixed up form that the sexual behavior may take, whether within the, the sexuality itself or in life in general, uh, it, it has to do with how you want to behave. It doesn't doesn't actually even have to do with something that's that's deep within you, that you're a man born in a woman's body. like somehow there was an error made somewhere along the way, or a woman born in a man's body. because what's on that the interior there doesn't really matter. It's performative. It's about what it accomplishes. It's about what it does. So it's all exterior. And I think that's really the, the, the kernel here, that I really, I think the takeaway point here. So she says, she goes on to say, if the inner truth of gender is a fabrication, and if a true gender is a fantasy instituted and inscribed on the surface of bodies, then it seems that genders can be neither true nor false, but are only produced as the truth of... Effects of a discourse of primary and stable identity. So, genders can neither be true nor false. You can't say, Well, dude, you're a man, or madam, uh, you're a woman. No, no, genders can neither be true nor false. Or to, to say to a transsexual, Well, no, you're not really a woman, or you're not really a man, uh, you're actually what your biological sex is. Well, that's completely outside of the question for Judith Butler genders could be neither true nor false but they're just produced by the way that you live the way, and, and by your own choice so you have the choice you can you can act in the way that you want you can live in the way that you want you can choose the sex that you want you can you can have the kind of sex that you want to have and who's to say any different because it's it's all outward and what's what's inward doesn't really matter or what's physical, doesn't really matter either. And then just a, an example of, uh, of some of her more uh, purple prose here. What performance where will invert the inner slash outer distinction and compel a radical rethinking of the psychological presuppositions of gender identity and sexuality? What performance where will compel a reconsideration of the place and stability of the masculine and the feminine? And what kind of gender performance will enact and reveal the performativity of gender itself in a way that destabilizes the naturalized categories of identity and desire? All right, so there's a, a few sentences that are formed in a way that I've never actually seen a sentence formed before. What performance where? It took me a couple of readings to figure out what she was actually... Uh, aiming at here but there is a certain point here that's actually important so so the 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 distinction between masculine and feminine is not stable it's not something that is you know written in stone or even written in flesh male female or even less written in god's word male and female he created them uh, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and to engage in normative heterosexual reproduction. That's that's all she's way beyond that. Uh, and gender performance that will reveal the performativity of gender, the, the way that gender is performative, it's something that's on the exterior, not something that comes from the interior. But what it also shows partly her goal here, destabilize, the naturalized categories of identity and desire. So there is a certain destabilization that is desired. And that runs in common with many other theorists as well. And I'm thinking particularly of one who I've mentioned in past episodes, and I will also mention in my book as well, Herbert Marcuse from the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. Who, whose goal was to destabilize society by uh, encouraging sexual liberation and sexual revolutions. So the goal here being to destabilize the naturalized categories of identity and desire and, uh, and basically make sexuality and gender a free for all. Everything according to uh, what you choose, what you feel is right for you, That's all good. And whether if you're a man who wants to be a woman, if you're a woman who wants to be a man, if you want to be both, or if you want to be neither, or if whatever. Anything goes. It's all about uh, how you live out your life. And it's not even about anything that's within you. And so she says, if gender attributes and acts, the various ways in which a body shows or produces its cultural signification are performative then there is no pre-existing identity by which an act or attribute might be measured so you can't again you can't talk about a person's identity you can't talk about the very core of their being and so in this the person becomes actually something less than human and that's and that's really one of the beautiful things about christian biblical anthropology understanding of human beings, and human nature. Because it's it's the true understanding of what we are and of our uniqueness, which also leads to other conclusions about uh, human beings, about our responsibilities, about our roles, about why we're here on Earth, about the freedom that we should have, about the fact that the individual is important The community is also important, but the individual is also important. And there is a difference between each individual and a difference between the individual and the community. So all of these things get forgotten when a a biblical anthropology, a biblical understanding of of human beings is forgotten. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll start this quote over again because uh, we may have lost our way here. So if gender attributes and acts the various ways in which a body shows or produces its cultural signification are performative, then there is no pre-existing identity by which an act or attribute might be measured. So you can't judge. There would be no true or false real or distorted acts of gender. You couldn't say that something is a perversion. You couldn't say that a certain decision or lifestyle choice is in itself wrong. It's just, it is what it is. And the person has the right to do that. And the postulation of the true gender identity would be revealed as a regulatory fiction, something that's made up in order to keep control over people, a regulatory fiction. So you can't say that somebody has a true gender identity or some outside source can't say that you're a male, you're a female. No, that's that for for Judith Butler, That is a regulatory fiction. It's something that's meant to keep people under control. That gender reality is created through sustained social performances means that the very notions of an essential sex, so the sex that you are, your biological sex, and a true or abiding masculinity or femininity are also constituted as part of the strategy that conceals gender's performative character, so the outward character of gender, and the performative possibilities for proliferating gender configurations outside the restricting frames of masculinist domination and compulsory heterosexuality. That last phrase, again, I think it deserves another read or it probably demands another read that gender reality is created through sustained social performances, so you create the reality of your own gender by the way that you interact with other people, and they have to accept that, means that the very notions of an essential sex, that you are male or female, the notion that you are either male or female, uh, and a true abiding masculinity or femininity, and that therefore you have a certain role in society and in life, are also constituted as part of the strategy that conceals gender's performative character. In other words, it's the, that performance, which is the important part, and these outward structures serve to hide that or try to hide that. And the performative possibilities, so there, there are great possibilities, performatively, outwardly, uh, in terms of lifestyles and the way lives are lived, in proliferating gender configurations, in multiplying the different kinds of, of genders or, or how genders relate to each other. And if that reminds you of the LGBTQ2S plus, um, whatever else the uh, is added to the letters of the alphabet, it should remind you of that because those are the proliferating gender configurations that we are seeing outside of the supposedly restricting frames of masculinist domination, so male male domination of society still, and compulsory heterosexuality, where homosexuality is viewed as an aberration, and not as just simply uh, an expression, uh, a performative expression uh, that a person chooses. In his or her life, or in its life. So that's the message, in very briefly, of Judith Butler, and I hope, I hope that uh, I was able to uh, explain at least the, the the focal point of what she has to say. because I think it's really important when we think about what's going on this month, what we're hearing about, when we when we see how. Uh, recently, there was a, a CBC article that was published on, on the CBC website uh, about this, uh, this growing uh, so-called fundamentalist reconstructionist movement among people of reformed convictions. Excellent article if you get a chance to read it. Not excellent because it's a good, uh, a good uh, evaluation, but excellent because it goes to show that people like Joe Boot and others like him are getting uh, are getting attention from the mainstream because they are making a difference. So I'm also going to be speaking about that in a subsequent episode, the Lord willing. But if you, you, you check out things like that and what's going on in uh, our nation and uh, all around the world in terms of gender and sexuality and the, the celebration of perversion around the world, the, the denial of male and female that essential division of humanity into male and female as, as created in the image of God to complement one another and to work together and to fulfill different roles, then this becomes extremely important. What, uh, what Judith Butler says in this book, Gender, uh, Gender Trouble, which was, as I mentioned, published in 1990, which shows you that this is, this is nothing new. But it also speaks to another issue, and that is the use of of pronouns and the the announcing of people's pronouns and using people's preferred pronouns. And I think when it particularly struck me as I was reading through this book, that for us to play the game, and that's, that's really what it is, for us to play the game of humoring people when they insist on being called by the pronouns which do not match their sex, we are actually capitulating to this worldview. We're actually doing damage to our own worldview. And you, you, people may say, "Well, you do it to be polite, or just to not cause trouble, or whatever." You don't want to. You don't want to hassle. Well, there are more important matters at play when you are you are to to announce your pre- preferred pronouns, and you're you're to say, "I'm, I'm to say Jim would have he him." Or what have you, so for yourself, they, them, or Z, Zer, or whatever it may be. When we enter, willingly enter into that game, which is a game of control of language, and that's one of the one of the things that Butler talks about: the grammar and the language and the importance of that, we are giving ground in this battle, and, and it is a battle. And I would, I would encourage everyone not to do that. And if you're asked to to give your pronouns, to not give your pronouns. Or if somebody, uh, if a woman says something about pronouns and, and, and wants to be referred to as a male, not to give in to that delusion. Because it's to, it's to play along, to play the game, as I mentioned, of a very, very destructive worldview that takes away... Individual personhood. Uh, it, as, it, if you go to the writings of someone like Judith Butler, who again has been very influential in the academic world in the in the area of gender studies, and that influence trickles down. And so we, we need to to fight against that. We need to not allow ourselves to get drawn into that, and to uh, to stand firm on the the uh, the creation story the creation account of Scripture, that God created us in his image and he created us male and female. And that's what we celebrate. And that's where, as I mentioned last week, that's where whatever boasting we can do comes in. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's what we need to do. And we need to counter this false human pride, which is based in this... Psychological nonsense, this philosophical nonsense, which in the end doesn't make sense, which in the end doesn't hold water, but which in the end is being used by those who have a greater agenda to form and reform the world according to their desires, to create the society of their desires. So, on that note, I'm going to call it quits for this episode of Dan 1132, and I thank you for being with me, and uh, uh, I ask for your forgiveness for some of those passages that I had to read and I t- had to read, uh, and I hope I did explain them clearly so that, that the main message of Judith Butler's work comes through. And you can also, uh, if you're interested in learning more, you can hear uh, some of her speaking on some shorter YouTube videos, which is more clear than what she writes in the book. So. Uh, if you want to take the time to do that, uh, then uh, by all means do so. And and go to the sources and see where this comes from, because this doesn't come from nowhere. Generally, these things come from academia. These things come from the intellectual elites, uh, from the public intellectuals, and they seep down into the rest of society in various ways, and, and they get changed, and they get adapted, and they get simplified, and, and until they uh, enter... The mainstream of society, as they have done most recently. So, until next time, may God bless you. Please do pass on the uh, link to the the Rumble channel or to the audio podcast if you found this helpful. And once again, may God help us, as always. As I always mentioned, the words of Daniel 11, verse 32, in conclusion, that the people who know our God, know their God, will stand firm and take action. May God help us to know Him first of all to know the truth, to know and confess honestly the truth in a world that is lost in these, these horrible lies and destructive lies, to confess that truth, including the truth of male and female who created them, may help us to stand firm and also to take action.